The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. In just a moment, we'll be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Before we do that, hopefully on the way in, uh, you picked up one of these. It's uh, the communion elements for today. They were on a table. If you did not get one, there should be one close to the exits uh, outside. So you can get up and do that now because there's not going to be a moment. As a part of the sermon, uh, we're going to move right into communion. So if you need that, if you could move and take care of that uh, at this moment. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning verse 16. Would you stand please as we read the word of the Lord? From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Lord, I ask now that as we take up your holy word, that I would rightly divide it, clearly preach the gospel, and that it would be heard and fall on fertile soil. Lord, lead us today to both hear and embrace the truth and to proclaim together the glorious gospel of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Over the years, people have more than one time said to me, I'm just a regular Christian. I love a statement like that. And what's going to come from me immediately when you say something like that is a question. What does that mean exactly? What is a regular Christian? Would you describe that for me? Here are some of the responses I have received. I prayed the sinner's prayer. You know, I believe in Jesus. I go to church. I have a personal relationship with Jesus, but I keep it just that, personal. Folks, this text describes what a regular Christian is. In the truest sense of the word, a regular Christian is both a new creation and an ambassador for Christ. You cannot be one without the other. This text confronts the American mentality to create its own version of Christianity that is very autonomous, very personal, and very private. It shows us that our relationship with Christ is profound, that we have been made new, that which we just celebrated in song, and that we have been made ambassadors, those who proclaim Christ. 
So here's what drives me today. That as new creations, we embrace the ministry of reconciliation, living and speaking as ambassadors for Christ. Now, to make sense of the therefores, I don't know if you noticed them. There are multiple in this paragraph. Therefore, therefore, therefore. Let's go back to verse 14 and set up how Paul is coming to these therefores. In verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us or compels us. This was the focus of our sermon last Sunday and our study together. That we are not controlled by guilt and shame. We are compelled and controlled by the love of Christ. And that we have concluded this, that he died for all, verse 15, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. So with these two things in our minds, that the love of Christ compels us and that we no longer live for ourselves if we are in Christ, we now come to an understanding that all who are in Christ are inseparably new creations and ambassadors for Christ. Verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. So how do we regard people? As Christians, we regard all of humanity in one of two ways. Either a person in need of the Savior, a person who is lost and without Christ, or a person who is in Christ and therefore our brother and sister or sister in Christ, regardless of anything else that is true of them. Humanity is separated in those two ways for us. We don't look at people according to what we see on the outside and how we perceive them. We look at the realities of who they are in Christ or outside of Christ. He says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So we do not see Jesus as merely a man. We don't assign things to Christ. I, I read this week, and this every time culture becomes revolutionary, Jesus becomes the top revolutionary. We want to we impose on Jesus what we want Jesus to be. Paul says we don't do that. We don't see Jesus according to the flesh. We see that He is the incarnate Son of the living God who is both our Lord and Savior. That Christ and Christ alone is the sufficient, perfect sacrifice who died for our sake and rose again. And because of the power of the cross, because, as we just sang, death is arrested, because of the power of the cross and the resurrection, and that they have been applied to the hearts and lives of every believer, the text says in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means everyone's not in Christ. But if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That means a radical and complete transformation has taken place in the heart and life of a person. It doesn't mean that they simply had some kind of religious experience that wears off. Something permanent happened. Something radical happened. The old person is dead and gone. It has passed away. And behold, the new has come. The new which is living and eternal. Brothers and sisters, we cannot remake ourselves. We live in a culture that's constantly trying to remake itself. Personally, trying to improve ourselves. 
We must be remade by God. And it is only through Christ that we become new creations. That's what he says in the beginning of verse 18. All this is from God. Or let's say it another way. He could have wrote this way. None of this is from you. No reason that you bring to the table, no effort you bring to the table has caused you to be a new creation. This is the work of God. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You must be reconciled to God before you can be given the ministry of reconciliation. However, those who have been reconciled to God through Christ have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And this begs the question, what does reconciliation mean? What does it mean in this context? The word reconciliation itself assumes that there is a state of hostility between two people. In this context, the state of hostility exists between God and human beings. That we, apart from God's action, are considered enemies of God. That we are sinners. God is the one who acted to bring about this reconciliation through Christ and specifically worked through Christ to deal with our problem of sin for this reason, to bring us back into relationship with himself. Now, this was God's initiative. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. It amazes me in our culture how freely we talk about being offended with God. You will never be saved, never, until you understand it is God who is the offended party. The reason we get offended with God is we don't see God as holy and as other than us. We see ourselves as the center of the universe. But when we understand who God is and that this holy God is, is without sin and we see ourselves as sinners, we understand that God is the one who is offended and that we are the ones who are the cause of the alienation. Verse 19 speaks of our sins and verse 20 says sin. These are the source of our estrangement between God and man. And we have to understand this. We would have never moved first unless, listen very carefully, it was on our terms. This is what all the other religions of the world have done. They've defined the terms. Christianity teaches that God is the one who has defined the terms. That He is the agent from which reconciliation has come. So reconciliation is necessary and it is God's idea, and he has initiated it and has become the agent. He is the supply of his own demand. He demands this reconciliation, and he has provided this reconciliation. And now he has given this responsibility to the church to make this message known, it says, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
This is very fascinating how this works out in the Greek language. We can't see it. Entrusting is singular. So here's what you got to think when I say that. That God is saying singularly to every Christian, he's entrusted you. And then he goes to the plural, to us. So I just don't have this entrustment, so do you. We have it. But I can't just think in the we, I've also got to think in the me. That we, I, am entrusted with the message of reconciliation. Now this sounds very similar to what Peter said. 1 Peter 2.9 You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jonathan Lehman has written extensively on this idea that the church is an embassy. That we are members of another kingdom. And that as members of this other kingdom, we have been scattered all over the globe in the midst of the kingdom of man. We are God's outpost wherever we are. We are his representatives. And those who make up this embassy are his ambassadors. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. This week in my preparation, I read this distinction. At the point in time where Paul wrote, ambassadors were normally and most often sent from a lesser power to a greater power. So at this point in time, the great power was Rome. That people would send ambassadors to Rome to plead their case for their lesser kingdom. To try to win the favor of Rome. To try to stay at peace with Rome. Now look at the reverse of what Paul's saying. It's not the lesser power who's come to the greater power. It's the greater power who has sent his people to the lesser power. That God has made us his ambassadors in every little K kingdom in the world. He has spread his people out all over the globe. That we are ambassadors for Christ. So, as new creations, we embrace the ministry of reconciliation, living and speaking as ambassadors for Christ. Watch what he says, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Now here, the new creation and the ambassador come together. That God's making his appeal through us. That it is it's through our lives and, and we're going to get to it primarily in this text, our lips, but through our lives as we reflect Christ, as this new creation becomes evident to others around us. Jesus said, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Matthew chapter 5. So he's making an appeal through our lives, but, but that's not the primary means of the appeal. The context here is clearly speaking, as the Bible does elsewhere, that this is speaking. That God is making his appeal through us. We're the ones doing the speaking, but it is God himself 
who is making the appeal, this message of reconciliation, the message of the gospel, the message of Christ. And there's an urgency on our behalf. Look at what Paul says. We implore you. We plead with you. We urgently plead with you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Several years ago, I'm working in my yard, and as I often does, particularly on Saturdays, I could hear a motorcycle coming. And there's a straightaway coming down a long, sloping hill, and then right in front of my house is a banked, sharp curve. Now, 20 years ago, it was crotch rockets. Now it's these old guys on Harleys coming down through there. But anyway, they don't go as fast as the boys did. I could hear him coming. It was a crotch rocket. He was by himself, and he was flying. He was topped out before he got halfway down the hill, and I said, he's not going to make it. I just knew he wasn't. So I just cringed and listened, and sure enough, in the curve, So I sprinted around the house, and there is a motorcycle implanted head-on into a car. I mean, it's stuck. So I run up there, and I'm saying, where is he? Where is he? The driver in the car was fine. And I heard a voice about 30 yards from me that said, I'm over here. And I look over there, and this young guy's just sitting in the yard with this bewildered look on his face. He already got his helmet off. So I turned my attention to the car because the gasoline had spewed all up on the hood and it was smoldering. And I go up to the guy in the car who's sitting there, just one dude in the car by himself, and I said, you got to get out of the car. This gas is going to explode in any second. <laughs> and this is what he he's kept doing this. My car! Dude, you got to get out of the car. This thing's going to catch on fire. My, my car! About that time, <laughs> Fire starts. He's still sitting there going, my, my car is on fire. Yes, and you're going to be on fire. Get out. So I finally had to open the door and reach in there and literally pull on this guy to get him out of the car. So we walk around. We get far enough away. By this time, the entire car is in flames, including the inside. We get around over to the yard, and this guy's okay. He's still saying, repeating the same thing, my car. So I go over and I sit down beside the young man and I say, are you okay? He said, I can't believe it. I, I don't have a stretch. He said, I hit the ground and slid over here and that's it. I said, young man, I don't know who you are and you don't know who I am, but you listen to me. The sovereign God of the universe spared your life today. And if this doesn't get your attention, Nothing ever will. And I proceeded to talk to him about the things of God and the gospel of Christ, to which he stopped me in the typical Gastonia fashion and said, I've heard all that my whole life, and you're right. You're right. I need to do better. I said, no, sir, you don't need to do better. You need to repent of your sin and turn to Christ. This is how the conversation end, ended. I said, young man, you need to understand this. Not only did the sovereign God of the universe spare your life today, you landed in the front yard next door to a person who knew the gospel. And today you've heard it. Trust in Christ.
As I think about that story, I think about you. And I wonder how many of you are just worried about your stuff. My car. Meanwhile, the world around you and your world is burning. My car. And how many of you like this boy who grew up here in a town like this, in a place like this, with the Bible taught and preached all your life, who your conclusion still is the same? I need to do better. I'm here to tell you today and to plead with you that your better is never going to be good enough. My greatest fear what drives me every week when I stand up here and preach is that some of you who have sat and listened to me for 28 years will on the day of judgment hear the words, I never knew you. And you will only hear that is if you reject the gospel and invent your own form of salvation. You can sit in a place like this and still twist it and still turn it and still make it say what you want it to say. I implore you today, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And here's the simplicity of how that transpired. Verse 21, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. What an incredible statement. Christ took our sin. It says, for our sake. That means in our place, as our substitute, He made Him to be sin. One author wrote it this way. Christ is the sinless sinner on the cross. And don't take that wrong. Christ never sinned. But he became sin. He was made sin for us on the cross and took the punishment for our sin in our place so that the great exchange can happen for the new creation. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. That doesn't mean, he doesn't say, not that we would have the righteousness of God. This is mind boggling that we would become the righteousness of God. How can it be? This is the work of Christ and Christ alone. We are only given this righteousness as we are in Him. And we will be raised to be like Him if we have trusted in Him. Paul says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. This is 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. That means, Paul is saying, understand this. That God didn't just land this ministry reconciliation on any odd human being out there and say, get at it. No. He landed the ministry of reconciliation on the new creation. And the new creation, who has become the righteousness of God, 
understands that their sufficiency is never from them. It is never from them in their salvation, and it is never from them in the ministry of reconciliation as an ambassador for Christ. So I have two questions for you this morning. First, as a new creation, am I embracing the ministry of reconciliation by living and speaking as an ambassador for Christ? This ministry of reconciliation is both living and speaking the gospel. It is for the sake and service of others. That's what ministry means. That we're doing something for the sake and service of another. Paul wrote in Ephesians this prayer, praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He uses the word boldly here twice. He says this is how I ought to speak. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't be timid. We shouldn't be held back. Then we shouldn't be arrogant and overpowering either. But we should be bold. You may be mad at Antifa and whoever else, but I'll give them this. They're bolder than Christians. The new religion's got a new boldness, and we better get ours back. Not that we take over the world. That's not our goal. Our goal is the ministry of reconciliation. And had the church been doing her responsibility for the last 25 or 30 years instead of turning in on herself, the world may not be what it is today. It is not the responsibility of government to save the world. It is the responsibility of the church to make this gospel known. And brothers and sisters, it is my prayer that we will return and pray for and practice boldness. But not just boldness. There better be clarity. So here's my question. Am I clear on the gospel and with the gospel? In Colossians, he wrote another prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving at the same time. Pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. May that be our prayer. And may that be our practice, that we pray for clarity and we speak for, with clarity. What is the clarity? That for our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So in that, we are acknowledging that we are sinners. God is holy. God is the provision. Christ alone is the sacrifice who died in our place as our substitute. And in believing in Christ and trusting in Christ, we become new creations and we become the righteousness of God. So, brothers and sisters, in this moment, we come to make a proclamation together. We come to acknowledge that what Christ has accomplished was necessary. I think that some of us believe 
that if we could just single out all the evil in the world and get rid of it, the world would be a better place. Solzhenitsyn wrote this from Russia almost half a century ago. He said, quote, If there, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them for the rest of us and destroy them. But he said, the dividing line of good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. So when you take this cup in a few moments, here's what you're saying. It was necessary for me. For me. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I am a room full of people who are sinners in need of a Savior. What Christ accomplished was necessary. But we come to remember what Christ has accomplished as our sacrifice and as our substitute. We didn't save ourselves. We don't come sacrificing ourselves. We don't come with some kind of burnt offering and we're not going to offer up one of us as the offering. The Son of the living God is our offering. God has accomplished it. He is the substitute who died in our place. And we come to remember. We also come to celebrate what He has accomplished. <laughs> that the great exchange has happened. That He took our sin and we receive His righteousness. That should make my hand tremble. I don't get it from the cup. I get it from Jesus. But the cup reminds me. We come to proclaim what Christ has accomplished to our own hearts and to each other. That's why you do communion together. You don't do it in your quiet time. You do it with the church. We do it to proclaim to each other that we all are in need of Christ. And before I read and lead us into the actual moment, would you please take this? I first want to remind you that communion is for all who are trusting and professing in Christ alone for your salvation. Now there are two sections of this. I hear some of you already doing it. There's a little plastic flap where you get to the wafer. If you want to go ahead and remove that, you can. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read the text of Scripture. Lead you for a moment. And then we're going to take both elements privately. So let me read. For I received from the Lord Jesus what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. Why does Paul say that? I'll give you one reason, I think. To remind us we're all Judas. You don't deserve to be at this table. None of you. 
On the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as you often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, here's what you're going to do to yourself and to each other. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So would you just bow where you're at? Pause and reflect. Am I in Christ? Yes. Then I rejoice in salvation through Christ alone. Rejoice, give thanks, and then receive the bread and the cup. And then pray privately, and I will lead us in prayer in a moment. Receive, brothers and sisters. Lord, thank you that you've given us the simple, tangible, symbolic reminder that you really came and you were broken just as we break the bread between our teeth. And as the bitterness the cup passes through our lips. We are reminded that you drank the bitter cup. All of it. And that you completed the work of salvation. And it is finished. And we are reminded, Lord, that you were buried. And on the third day, you rose again. That you are our Savior and you are our Lord. And we confess that just as you came as you promised, you promised you're coming again. And you're going to be praised as the waters cover the sea. And because of the faithfulness of your ambassadors, there will be people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation and every land who sing there. So Lord, I thank you that this gospel got to this part of the land. For some of us, for generations, our ancestors have heard and proclaimed and passed. And for some are first generation believers in this room, regardless, we have heard your gospel and you have made us ambassadors. So Lord, I pray with gratitude in our hearts, overflowing now, that we would use our voices and we would praise the one alone who saves. Bless us as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship.
give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.